Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. tonight from chapter 2 and verse number 11, but I think we're going to probably go down through about verse 15 or so here this evening. The book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 11, the Bible says, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so with the help of the Lord, I want to... uh, I want to speak on the subject of our fullness in Christ, or our wholeness, completeness in the Lord. I started working on this Sunday afternoon, a little bit more Monday, and a little bit more Tuesday, and then of course today has been my focus, and uh, I just ask God to help us, amen. I want the word of the Lord, it can be in here and it can be in here, but I want it to be shared with all of us, amen. You can be seated, and I thank you for standing, and thank you for just plugging in tonight to the spirit of the Lord and our worship and and uh, thank you to our singers and musicians who always 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 just usher us into the presence of the Lord and they make it so much easier after we have gone through the perils of our day I'm so thankful for our praise team and our musicians who just so in such first class fashion just help us kind of push all of today aside and just step into his presence. In verse number 11, Paul is again addressing and, and explaining, if, we, if you please, our completion in Christ. And that completion, uh, as we travel down through these next few verses, is, is going to include and certainly center around our new birth. And our, our new birth is a new life. I believe that new birth, of course, and according to Scripture, is essential for salvation. And uh, it's, not, it's not just a suggestion. And there is a path to being born again. In the Old Testament, uh, circumcision became an identifying mark of God's people. And it was indeed in the Old Testament a physical procedure. But it had a very powerful spiritual significance. And... When we consider, if you must always remember when we're studying the Word of God, that we've got to kind of stay in context of where we are. Uh, The trouble that the Jewish people had was the fact that they were solely depending upon the physical things to save them and not the spiritual things. And uh, so it was just an exercise of flesh in many different ways. And, uh, but they failed to understand that a mere, mere physical procedure could never convey spiritual grace and we need the grace of God 
there's a course that just simply says grace, grace, God's grace. And um, I think about those words and that song and the tune of that song that resonates in my heart. I'm thankful for the grace of God. So many things that we can say about grace, but Paul, Paul said, I am what I am. And it was just by the grace of God. And I believe that we could all echo the sentiments of that. In Romans 2 and 25, Paul essentially spoke to the church. And I'm just going to put this in our language. That Paul said to the church in Rome that a, a surgical ritual of circumcision that marked them as a Jew was a great thing if you live according to the law of God. Amen. So you, you can't just have some physical thing and think that that alone is going to be enough. But he said, but if you don't live according to the word of God, then it's worse than not being circumcised at all. And, and I, I believe that begins around verse 25 in Romans 2 and, and then down about around verse 29. And Paul just, just starts comparing or talking about the fact that if you just do this in the flesh and then you don't follow this in the spirit, then that's worse than not even doing it to begin with. Amen. And so I understand that what our subject here for a moment is, but if we can draw that parallel into a spiritual climate and understand that we just can't do something by way of trying to be righteous and then not follow the principles of God and be okay. Paul said it would just have been better off if you left the whole thing off. You're going to wind up in worse shape than you were and, uh, and that's what you'll find in those few verses. And, and often in the New Testament, God warned his people to turn from their sin. It was an adamant warning and left nothing, uh, nothing to guess, turn from their sin, but not just turn from their sin, but to turn and, and experience something spiritual in the Lord. And I believe the balance, the wholeness and completeness of, uh, of someone coming to the Lord is not just turning away from sin, but we have to turn to the Lord. You can't just set something down without picking something up or there's going to be an imbalance. And so that was the, uh, that was the word of God, to turn from their sin, but to make a spiritual circumcision of the heart. And I, I believe that people can make that same mistake today. We can repeat that again and again because we cannot be saved by works alone. I do believe that works are going to follow things that are in our life and, and uh, the work of God in our life. But there has to be an interchange of the heart. Amen. If, if we're going to be significantly and significantly different in the long term, the change has got to happen here. <laughs> there is a significant contrast between the Jewish circumcision, which was a literal circumcision, and the believer's spiritual circumcision. And I'll just contrast a few of these for you. The Jews, for them, circumcision was an external procedure. But for the believers, it was an internal procedure. It was something that took place in the heart. For the Jews, it was just part of the body. But for believers, it was the whole body. It's a, it's a complete surrender. For the Jews, it was done by hand. But for us, it's a work that's not made with hands. You can't do that in your flesh. And, and for the Jews, it was just an act in the flesh. But there was no help. There was no spiritual help for them. But for believers, there is, and there is that spiritual aspect of being able to do this with the help of God. When Jesus cried, died and rose again, he won a complete and a final victory over sin. 
And so what the scripture says, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his son, etc. And what the law could not do, Jesus Christ completed that work for us on Calvary. So the old nature, the flesh was put off. It was rendered powerless. And so we are no longer subservient to sin. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we don't have to deal with our nature from time to time. And I'll talk about that again in just a moment. But the subject of circumcision, I, I understand, may sound somewhat strange and even distasteful to speak of in this day. But it, it, it's important to us in this day because it's in the Word of God, number one. Secondly, because it's a foreshadowing. It is a type of something that is to come in the new covenant. And so we, if we understand the parallels between this in the Old Testament and what was being given birth to in the New Testament, the New Testament circumcision is not a cutting away of physical flesh or skin. In the New Testament, circumcision strips off what Paul says is the body of the sins of the flesh. And so it is a stripping away of the old man, flesh. And so we have to be set free from the sins of the flesh. And again... I will say that new birth does not eradicate our sinful nature as a whole. While we are changed, exponentially changed, the root of us is still there. So if you were hot-headed when you came to the Lord, when you get through speaking in tongues, wipe the sweat off your brow, that nature is still there. And so we can't just go on and say, well, you know, it just runs in our DNA. You got a new DNA. And we got to do something about that. We got, and so we, we, it's going to be there, but we can't just let it live. You can't just let it run. Amen. I'm going to just say, you know, some things are indigenous to the particular area in which you live, which some things are indigenous to the area where we all live. Everybody here, whether you live in the country or whether you live in the city, you may not want to think about this, but there's possums in your neighborhood because they're just indigenous to this area. And so if one just sankers into your house, you can't just say, well, you know, I mean, it's just part and parcel of where we live. I mean, you'd do something about that. We had a possum at our back door. It's a handy example. We had a possum at our back door just a few nights ago, indigenous or not. You can't just hang out on the top of our grill. <laughs> and I couldn't shoot it because it was up against the house. <laughs> I'm being serious. And I'm fixing to try to spiritualize something because <laughs> I told my wife, who was somewhat holding the flashlight when she wasn't running for cover, I said, if I just had a baseball bat, and uh, I think, well, at least I could do something because I can't shoot uh, because the house was this way and our vehicles were parked around other places. In a few moments, she just shined the light over, and I guess Justin had a baseball bat once upon a time. And it was still, it was still over in this little area where we keep our rakes and things like this. She said, well, there's a bat right there. <laughs> Indigenous or not, you can't stay here. And because he wouldn't leave on his own, I had to carry him off in the shovel. <laughs> Gave him a ride. 
And so if we have a nature, a sin nature. See, I took the little possum story and got your guard down. And so if we and so if we have these quirks in our nature, we can't just say, Well, it's just who I am. It doesn't matter. We have we're a new creature. We have been born again. We have to cut away the flesh of our heart. And we have to let the Spirit of God do a work. And if it takes a baseball bat, if it takes if it takes something radical to get that out of our heart, it'll be worth the effort. It will be worth the effort. I'm going to tell you that it was a lot more peaceful around our house knowing that thing is in the sweet by and by than it got away. <laughs> because I may have could have handled that, but I would live with someone who could not handle that. I would. And so we wouldn't just let things run awry just because it's around. And so we may struggle with our sinful nature, but we've received the power to resist it. We've received the power to rebuke it. We've received the power to do something about that and say, you're not going to live in my mind and my heart. We're going away. Amen. I spent too much time there. Verse 12, the Bible talks about being buried with him. He says, buried with him in baptism, wherein ye also ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God who hath raised us, who hath raised him from the dead. I want to read a portion of this from the Amplified Bible. And the Amplified Bible just amplifies, that's all. Amen. And so thus you were circumcised when you were buried with him in your baptism. And so our burial with Christ, when we talk about being buried with Christ, it's not as morbid as it sounds because our burial with Christ is something that occurs at water baptism. And so in baptism, when Paul writes that, it means the act of baptism. And so in baptism is the act of baptism. Similarly, in Romans 6 and 4 the Bible says we are buried with him who is Jesus Christ. We are buried with him by baptism. And so I believe that the primary purpose of Romans 6 and 4 is not to teach the mode perhaps nor necessarily the formula of water baptism. But I believe that its description presumes that when we say we are buried with him that we are baptized by immersion. Amen. I know that may not be a big critical issue among this audience tonight but it just never hurts to pass by something and just remind us amen that there is there is more than just an implication of scripture amen but we are buried with him and when we are buried with him that's why when we baptize somebody we immerse them in water amen all the way down for the remission of their sin in the name of Jesus Christ and so the only connection between baptism and burial is, is the scriptural mode, of course, of immersion. So since Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead incarnate, the name Jesus is the name singular of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, the scripture we find in Matthew 28, 19. The name of Jesus reveals the Father. According to John 5 and 43, Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name. The name of Jesus was given to him at birth. And Matthew 1 and 21 says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Amen. That Jesus is the name in which the Holy Spirit comes into and to us, to and into us. And John 14 and 2 says, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Hallelujah. I'm thankful today for water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of 
of our sins. It is not a religious rite. It is not just a a ritual that we go through. It's not a hoop that we include in the course. Amen. It is the word of God and something powerfully significant happens in our life when we are baptized. Colossians 2 also presumes that baptism is, is reserved for those who believe and those who repent. Verse 12 shows that faith is necessary for this spiritual circumcision of which Paul is referring to in Colossians. The concept of of burial, of course, implies death. And so by definition, we're talking about death to sin and self-will, and that death occurs at repentance. That's why repentance is so very critical. I am... uh, I am always uncomfortable in an atmosphere if someone is being rushed through repentance. Repentance is critical. I don't, I'm not suggesting that, re, that repentance takes 90 days. I believe that we can see biblical figures and circumstances where repentance happened in a moment of time. When Nathan stood at David and said, Thou art the man. The Bible doesn't specifically clarify the time lapse of that, but I believe in that moment David was convicted and repented of his sins. And so I believe, in, I believe that we should never underscore or, nor underestimate or devalue the act of repentance because it is dying out. In other words, there, there should be the repentance process we should understand As a dying out. Furthermore, the New Testament circumcision also includes the infilling of the Holy Ghost. According to Romans 8 and 11, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us. When we believe and repent and we're baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sin, then we are ready. The Bible says, and then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is not an automatic thing, but we are a candidate at that moment to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're ready to be filled with the Spirit and that Holy Spirit will impart new life. In the New Testament, it reveals that that both water baptism and spirit baptism are a part of new birth. Therefore, we should speak of both of those aspects as spiritual circumcision. And so, spiritual circumcision includes both. It's the putting off of sin by repentance and water baptism and then it is the impartation of the Holy Spirit of God that moves into our life. And I believe both are a part of entering into the new covenant and identifying with God's people in the New Testament. Spiritual life doesn't come automatically, I think uh, we would agree tonight, that spiritual life does not automatically come at the ceremony of baptism when we are talking about the literal aspect of baptism. And so... It comes through faith. I believe specifically it is faith in the working hand of God. What I, I, why I'm trying to underline that is, is on purpose because I don't want anyone to think that just because you're baptized that that is the sum total of it all and that that is enough. That's a wonderful experience. Repentance is a wonderful thing. It can help us to die out to who we were. Baptism is an incredibly powerful thing. Amen, where someone is water baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission, the removal of their sins, that's a powerful experience. But I have watched people get to this moment and that point and stop. And that is not the stopping place. It is just part of the journey. 
Again, Paul said in chapter 2 and verse 12, he said, We are buried with him, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. So let's look at that phrase, the operation of God. That implies a working of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is at work right now. I mentioned this to someone I believe last night. I could be confused about that. But if, if you are weak enough in your body, whether that is from maybe an illness or something where you haven't been able to eat, whatever the case may be, there are people in here that can relate to what I'm about to say. If you're weak enough in your body from an illness or anything of that nature, you can drink a cup of broth and actually feel the positive results of that single cup of broth. It was as though you were energized. I'm not trying to exaggerate that, but you can feel strength. So I would suggest this to you tonight, that when we're sitting in the house of God, whether we're hungry or whether we're full, if we're full, we don't really feel that energy. But if we're hungry, we feel that energy. We feel that effect in our life. But I would suggest to you tonight, feel it or not, that when we, when we ingest something of that nature that has nutrients in it, that has the ability to strengthen us, that it's there right now. And so the Word of God, you know, there are services where we're just, I mean, we're just hanging our hat on the moon. And then there are services where it's a little more quiet. But the word of God is going forth. We shouldn't think, well, we really had good church because we shouted or we didn't really have a good service because nobody moved. If the word of God goes forth, <laughs> there is an imparting of the spirit. And whether we walk away just with chill bumps all, all over us or not, if we ingested the word of God, there's something powerful that happens in us. It is the operation of God. Amen. It is, it is implying the working of the spirit. And so someone may be truly baptized in water and yet not filled with the Holy Ghost. And when, some, when someone is baptized, I believe their sins are washed away. And the Lord opens their heart at that moment to receive the Holy Ghost. I believe that when many people, many people have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost when they come up out of the water. Some people misunderstand. I've, I've been approached about this way many, many times through the years that, that we believe that when people come up, they automatically receive the Holy Ghost. No, no, no. When, but when somebody comes up out of the water, I believe that rising up is symbolic of an entrance into a, a new life. And I, I think faith is released and people at that moment, certainly faith is high, amen, and, 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 and they can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But let me tell you, they can't just get wet and come up and it signifies something. They must actually receive the Spirit in order to experience a new life, not just going through rituals or motions. And so a careful study, if we looked at verses 11 and 12 at, at the typology of, of circumcision, it would at least dispel two concepts about water baptism. I want to touch that carefully if I can, or quickly if I can. First, some people teach that baptism is only symbolic, and therefore they minimize the act of baptism. You, know, you can take it or leave it, and, uh, and some teach that it's not even a part of a New Testament salvation. But if we are likening baptism to circumcision, and that's certainly what Paul is doing, circumcision was not an option. 
not under the old covenant. Circumcision was not an option. As a matter of fact, it was so serious that God gave the command to Abraham and his descendants. And when he did, it became a part of obedience of their faith. And it was necessary. Can I boldly use that word again? It was necessary to, for you to enter into covenant with God. Genesis 17 and 10, I don't have these scriptures, but Genesis 17 and 10 says, This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Verse 14, the Bible says, And the uncircumcised man child shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And so here, if, if we will, for just a moment, let's get back to Moses standing at the burning bush. He's standing there. The bush is burning. The Spirit of God, voice of God, speaks from the burning bush and tells Moses to take off his shoes because where he's standing is holy ground. What an incredible moment this was in the life of Moses, an incredible spiritual experience. But on the heels of this incredible spiritual experience, the Bible says in Exodus 4 that 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 God would have killed Moses if he had not circumcised one of his sons. So my point is this, that Moses had an incredible experience with God at the burning bush, but it didn't take away from the importance of the covenant that every man child, every Jewish man child had to be circumcised. Amen. And so uh, we, even after the Israelites entered into the promised land, they had to obey the command to be circumcised. And this took place when you read the scripture, when they went into, the, into Canaan, when they into the promised land. They came to a city called Gilgal. And the Bible says that all of the male children that were, that were born while they were in this 40 years of wilderness marching, before they could go any further, every male had to be circumcised. And they were circumcised at a place called Gilgal. And and uh, and and not to try to sound crass, but that's exactly what happened. And they were there, and that was followed by a period of healing. I'm in the Word of God. That was followed by a period of healing before they could go on, before they could conquer. They had they had to cut away the flesh. And I'm going to tell you tonight that before we can conquer some things in our life, in our spirit walk with God, we're going to have to cut away some things in our flesh. It's the absolute truth. It is the absolute truth. And so uh, today we express our faith and we certainly express our identity and our, uh, with the new covenant by obeying God's command to be baptized. Amen. Because that is the cutting away of flesh. The second false concept is that baptism alone is necessary to enter into the covenant. That just solely baptism, even under the law, circumcision alone was valueless if it was not consistent with faith in God and obedience to his word. I read that just a moment ago. Colossians 2 and 12 shows that baptism must be associated with faith and it must be associated with a regenerate work of God that continues to move in our life. Baptism is not effective because of water. Baptism is not effective because of the person that's doing the baptizing. Amen. Baptism is affected by the death of Christ and our faith in him to follow him. He is the one who washes away sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it was his blood. It is his blood that purges us from all of our iniquity. Colossians explains that in our new birth, we are identified with Christ's burial, death, burial, and resurrection. And so he says in verse number 13, And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, 
Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses? And so before new birth, we are dead in sins. And then at the new birth, the Bible says that God has quickened us. And so this encompasses the work of forgiveness and the work of remission, including repentance and water baptism. Verse 11, the new birth includes the, both the removal of sins and then the impartation of his spirit. If we move to verse number 14, the Bible says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Now this is important, and, and uh, this is important for us to get in, in I'm, I'm coming sort of to a close. I'm trying to figure out how to word that. <laughs> blotting out, the Bible says, um, I can barely see that. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. The, the, can you change there? there and, took out, and took out the way, nailing it to his cross. It was taken out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. That verse is an analogy. Very easy to miss if we move too quickly. It is an analogy of debt that was eradicated by the grace of God. Amen. So the handwriting of the ordinances. He likened sin to a debt that was incurred to God. The Greek word for handwriting means a note or a bond or a certificate of debt or an unpaid balance. It is a statement of debt signed by the debtor in, an into in a token of acknowledgement of the indebtedness. Amen. Let's jump out of the King James just a moment. Anybody here got something in your office at home or in your filing cabinet that is a paper that signifies your indebtedness? <laughs> I hate to bring up such a poor subject, but you know, you got a coupon book at home that you just fill out. It's very handy. But it's a reminder of your indebtedness. You owe, you owe, you owe. <laughs> and it's documents that signify our indebtedness. It's an acknowledgement that you owe. The ordinances define the duties that we failed to forgive, or that we failed to fulfill, rather. The word especially refers to the law of Moses. Although the law was good and certainly the law was holy in and of itself, because of our sin it couldn't save us. The law could really only condemn us. It was against us and it was opposed to us, so to speak. But when we are born again, that sin debt has been canceled. I want to tell you, it's hard, it is hard to improve on the words paid in full. Wow. <laughs> Man, it just, big debt, little debt. It's just, there's just hard to improve on getting that document that somebody just took the time to paid in full. Wow. I will not hear from you again. <laughs> you, will not, you will not mail me something every 30 days reminding me of my indebtedness. But I have a document that cancels the document that says I was in debt. God wiped away that record of debt, no longer holding us accountable for past debts. That phrase means to take out of the way. <laughs> to take out of the way. You ever had any bills in the way? Like you could go out and eat, but you got something in the way. <laughs> you could buy a new pair of shoes, but you got something in the way. 
There's something that stands between you and that new gun, something that stands between you and that new whatever. There's something that stands in front of you and that improvement. It's in the way. It's in the way. But the Bible says that God took it out of the way. Well, glory. He removed it out of the middle. He took it out of the road and he set it aside. Amen. God removed what hindered our fellowship with him. And, and uh, he didn't just erase the writing, but he destroyed the con- he con- destroyed that condemning document itself because the scripture says he did so by nailing it to the cross. Amen. <laughs> you may not use this terminology exactly, but you may say something like this. You know, you may have some sort of issue that's going on and you get with somebody and say, you know, we just need to nail this down. <laughs> and so we all know what we're talking about. I mean, we we got to just nail this down. We got to get this settled. And so Jesus said, I'm going to take this debt document and we're going to nail it to the cross. My, my, my. <laughs> and so one commentator has explained the handwriting and the ordinance is this. He said, the sin which we now have has been forgiven and that sin represents a bankruptcy. He said those who incurred it were bound to acknowledge it but never have any hope of discharging it. What are you going to do about it? They had violated the ordinance of the law and nothing would change that, nothing. But Jesus Christ wiped the slate clean and gave a fresh start and he took the signed acknowledgement of that deadness, that perpetual witness against them and he canceled it when he nailed it to the cross. So I'll ask you to stand and our musicians to come quickly if you will. Verse 15 says, And having spoiled principalities and power, and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. I want to say that again. And having spoiled principalities and powers, has made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I want to do it again. And having spoiled the principalities and powers, spoiled the principalities and powers, and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Amen. When Jesus, when the scripture talks about spoiling principalities and powers, he's talking about to disarm and to strip and to put off using a metaphor. The scripture talks about a victor stripping his defeated enemy of their armor and their arms. Now there's a a, a somewhat gruesome but an interesting passage of scripture because it was culturally uh, something of the day. But I think it's um, the last chapter of the book of 1 Samuel which would I think be 31. When you read the last, some of the passages of scriptures of 1 Samuel 31, when Saul was killed... The enemies of Saul that killed him, it wasn't enough that they killed him. But when they came and they saw that he was indeed dead, they cut off his head. And then they took his armor and his arms. And, a little gruesome, even his body. And they hung it on the wall. And so when Paul is talking about spoiling the principalities and powers and made a show of them openly triumphing over them, don't skip through that too quickly. 
Because there's some powerful promises to you and I right there. That Jesus has taken our past and nailed it to the cross. And he stripped the enemy of its power. The principalities and the powers. He stripped them openly. And when I read that, my mind went to 1 Samuel 31. And my mind envisioned the armor and the arms of Saul. The enemy says he thought he was all of that. But this is what we think of him. And Jesus triumphs over sin. And he says, I'm going to strip the principality and the power. And I'm going to shame them openly. And I will put them for a public display. Our fullness is in him. So who, who, we, who are we? Well, we're not a whole lot in and of ourselves. Our fullness is in him. He triumphed in them over the cross, canceling debt, reminding us of who we are in him. And so we are identified in, in him. I close with this. Many unregenerate men consider themselves to be God's children or sons of God. But being a product of God's handiwork does not necessarily give you sonship with God. I, I want to slow my pace and I want us to get this passing, closing comments. Because there's a lot of unregenerate people that just say, well, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. All is well. But being a product of God's handiwork does not qualify us for sonship. And if we were to use this illustration, I could tell you this, that a cabinet maker can construct a cabinet because they have the skill set and the materials and the tools to do it. But this does not make that inanimate object a child of the cabinet maker. It's just the byproduct of the cabinet maker. <laughs> I hope this is not too out there for you. In order for that cabinet to be a child of the cabinet maker, there has to be a birth process. So we are a byproduct of God by birth. We could be called a child of God. But we've got to be, there's got to be a born again experience. If we're going to be a child of God and not just the creation of God. We must be born again of the water and of the spirit. Praise God. And I'm going to tell you, if you sit in front of your television long enough and if you listen to the preaching on the radio long enough and if you just read enough articles and magazines, it'll dilute your faith. And so what we're doing here tonight is we're just kind of plowing around the tree and we're just building up a hedge to say we must never forget, amen, that God, yes, I am a child of God. Yes, I am his, rather, yes, I am the creation of God. Yes, I am here because of God. But that doesn't make, that doesn't give me sonship. I've got to be born again. I've got to be born again. I feel the Holy Ghost. I really feel the Holy Ghost in this tonight. Amen. And I knew God was wanting to do something in this this evening. And I want to tell you how I knew it. 
because as long as I have been working on this this afternoon, it just felt like it was all crumbling around me and falling apart, and I was having such a hard time getting my thoughts around it after I really felt like it was the will of God. And it just dawned on me, the enemy is just trying to frustrate what the Spirit of the Lord. And in my den, I just begin to pray against that and say, God, I'm going to preach on this. I'm going to teach on this. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to sound the alarm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You must be born again. We must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. (laughs) Hallelujah. Not because it's an apostolic thing, but because it's a God thing. It's a Word of God thing. Hallelujah. Let's respond to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. Let's magnify Him in this house today. Hallelujah, Lord. Just let Your Word be settled. Let Your Word be sufficient. Let Your Word be enough. God, it's going to set the tone and it, it will set the pace, God, of who we are. Hallelujah. Dear God, in this hour, don't let us dilute ourselves. Don't let us dilute ourselves, oh God, but let our faith be in you, our trust, our confidence be in you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.